In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. I bet all of you yearned for the day for me to come back with the absolutely bombed, terrible Paul intros. We've waited long enough. Paul will not be joining us today. Several invites, and I'm sorry, text message later. And here we are, just the two of us. Jack Duffin, what's going on, Jack? We can make it if we try. Jack, what's going on, buddy? I skid. This is a show that I've been in, I've been intrigued about. I, tra- I trailed it a bit at the end of last one, and. I was really expecting it to be boring until I started writing the articles and then I had some ideas and uh, some of the ideas are crazy. And I want to touch on one thing that I tweeted and I know it's a tight end show, but I want to touch on a wide receiver first because the other night I was sat there just clicking through Twitter spaces uh, like half one in the morning and landed on Twitter space by Pat's cap. Great guy, Mikel, um, who, it's basically the goat for a person covering a team's salary cap. Uh, does loads of incredible work and has for years and years and years. But there was people in the space chatting about the potential of trading away Nelson Aguilar. Basically, it was a salary cap dump. We remember the Osweiler trade, that sort of stuff. So not so much of, hey, the new team needs him, of who's willing to take a salary cap dump. And they'd mentioned a couple of teams, Colts, potentially back to the Raiders. Um, and I popped up and said, hey, the Browns tried to do it with Jadavian Clowney. We desperately need wide receivers. Um, and as we touched on, hey, the, mar- the free agency market might not be as kind to the Browns um, and Baker Mayfield as we'd like. I, I, th- I think it just worked as a possibility of going, hey, if they're going to give us Aguilar and a sixth and we give them a seventh back, uh, sorry, Aguilar and a fourth and we give them a seventh back, well, that's a significant upgrade um, in the draft capital. We've eaten five million, so we could take the five million and just cut him at the end of camp if it doesn't work out. And if they're going, hey, five million for one year of Agalor, I, I, I don't hate it as a guy on the roster that he gives you a bridge into next year. And if you spend a load of money on a big free agent, use him as a bridge, and then you've got what DPJ Schwartz, Felton, potentially one, um, probably one draft pick. Those four dudes then step up, and one of them is going to be the wide receiver too next year. I just think it's an intriguing one. I know Andrew Bear is really keen on the eating the salary cap for improving draft picks. I know there's the cap drops issue, but I I, I wouldn't mind rolling the tires on that. Um, just gives us more options. Aguilar is interesting because you'll see some plays out of him that you're like, wow, he's boomer bust. Obviously, the drops is what turns me off in full in full disclosure about Aguilar. Um, I, it's just inconsistency. But I understand the theory of saying, hey, if we're willing to kind of almost buy a pick by giving up $5 million of cap space room for a, say, you know, fourth rounder or whatever it is. Because, listen, if, if you're swapping a fourth for a seventh, 
that's a win to me. Like, yes, we might not be able to draft the kicker that is so desired here in Cleveland, but still, um, it, it's something I would definitely consider. If you're bringing him in $5 million of cap, that to me is at least worth a while. And if you can turn it into some sort of an elevated pick, then there you go. There's the fallback option that makes it kind of a worse, uh, makes the worst case scenario. So to me, that kind of makes it a low risk. Yeah, and it, the crazy thing is you could use that extra fourth to draft the extra kicker. And then you've got seven dudes in the wide receiver room and you get to the end of camp and you're like, actually, we don't need you, Aguilar. The guy we picked at 13 or in the second round, the guy we picked at four, they're actually both really, really good. And yeah, go. Um, or we, we potentially even eat that five million and then flip him again. Um, and some team might, the Raiders might go, hey, we'll, we'll give you a sixth for him. Um, it's only one year, five million. Who cares? Um, th- these crazy things happen. Um, and I, I just think it's where the experimental world of Andrew Berry belongs. But we're meant to be chatting tight end. So I was going to say, not only do they, uh, do, that's what he does. I mean, listen, if it's something that's going to help this team, I think everybody and anybody knows that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. We're going to, there are, I mean, I know the guys on Cleveland Brown daily say it all the time. They're going to turn over every stone they can to make the team better. And if bringing in a guy like Aguilar or something they think they're going to make better, then as fans, we just got to trust and say, hey, they know more than we do. They really do. You know, at the end of the day, I know we may have our preferences in terms of who we watch on YouTube and stuff like that. But, you know, listen, at the end of the day, it's something to think about. So tight ends an interesting position um, because there's options. And anyone in this room could be gone and who cares? Um, probably one dude, Brian, is the only man I would bet money on that is going to be here on the roster next year. Um, everyone else, you can make a really compelling case that they're not here. So let's start off with tight end one. Um, obviously, we play a lot of two tight end sets. So tight end one and two is both quite important on this team, whereas with other teams, it just doesn't really matter. Um Let's start off with the, the bigger name, and that is Austin Hooper, purely because, hey, he played the most snaps. So the, the coaching staff certainly have – it's only slightly more confidence in him, but based on usage, more opportunity, more snaps, they obviously like him slightly more than uh, David Njoku. He's – it's a 9.5 million decision. You can jump on my Twitter, tweet at me and ask me. I'll send you the video. Uh, it's on YouTube, Brown Salary Cap. It's, there's threads explaining it. Don't worry about the dead cap number. 9.5 million if you want to keep him for one more year or not. Um, that's the decision number. The issue. Just, just to add, just to add. So, in terms of snap counts, so to add on why you're saying about tight end one and two. So, Austin Hooper took 65% of the offensive snaps. David Njoku, David Njoku took 60% of the offensive snaps. So, when you're talking about, and that's together, right? So, that's obviously. of the time I'm going off the total number of offensive snaps and saying only 5% of the time was Hooper out there and Joku wasn't. So using those two tight end one, two, now obviously it could have been Harrison Bryant or somebody else, but just to give people an idea in terms of percentage uses, Austin Hooper was on the field 65% of the time. David Njoku was on the field 60% of the time. That's pretty, that's pretty high numbers. Yeah. And if if the coaching staff love David Njoku more than Austin Hooper, those numbers are the other way around. So that is a massive statement. Um, it's only 5%, but that is a statement in itself because they could easily have one of those dudes up at 80%, the other one down at 40 mm-hmm. So these kinds of things are really important when you're talking about roster construction, decisions teams can make. 
Um, it's not like we're sitting there and they're going, hey, well, they didn't want to expose one more than the other because he's a rookie or something. Both of these dudes have been around the block long enough. So, yeah. And to your point, like the Bengals in the division, right? CG Ozama took 78% of the snaps as tight end one. The next guy was 40. So that just shows you an offense that was built more around having that bigger split. So you're talking about a 38% snap differences between their tight ends versus ours. So just to kind of give people a little bit behind the curtain of where these numbers are coming from and why they're coming there. Yeah. And all these little things are really worth looking at when you're chatting about what direction a team's most likely to go. So Austin Hooper obviously came and I wasn't a big fan of the signing at the time, wrote about it at the time um, because he was a big yak monster um, based on his production in Atlanta. The reason for that is, hey, you've got Julio, you've got Ridley, they were throwing deep um, and then there was that space underneath to go into. Wasn't something that was likely to happen in Cleveland and lo and behold, that's exactly how it's played out. So it's one where he's done okay. Uh, is anyone enamored with Austin Hooper? No. Um, but he, he's just a serviceable tight end. He does what he's asked to do and smashes quite a lot of uh, overbets. I think the reason that Hooper was desirable to the Browns was because obviously he was in Atlanta during the Kyle Shanahan days. So it wasn't necessarily, he was actually became less of a fit in Atlanta as they morphed off of the Shanahan days. And now, you know, obviously this year have um, Arthur Smith from Tennessee there, but we're talking about, you know, last before where where was it? Dan, Dan Dan Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. So Dan Quinn, who's now, whose name is back hot in terms of the, uh, the head coaching carousel as the current Cowboys defensive coordinator, Jack's face tells me all I need to know about his thoughts and theories on Dan Quinn, who, by the way, may be joining me here in Chicago, but anyways, so Hooper had familiarity in the offense. And I think that the valuable asset that he was, was his ability to not only, you know, offer as a serviceable tight end in the passing game, but his idea of he understands zone blocking. He understands how to emphasize uh, a dominant running game. So I think he was brought in because he was that multi purpose tight end. Now, ironically enough, Austin Hooper last year was playing, I would say, if not at, I would say above what his contract really was, you know, in terms of his offensive production, you know, last year he had a better year than he did this year, whether it was in the passing game and in the running game. And I think overall that was a product of why the offense seemed to function a lot better. So if you could get Hooper's level of production, and we're talking about efficiency at the position, not like stats. You know, one thing I always want to emphasize when we're talking here, we're not talking about like how many yards, you know, because when we look at say like another tight end, I'll just use a random guy from Dallas that won't come up again in this conversation, Dalton Schultz. When you talk about targets, right? So we're talking about fantasy and stuff like that, where people care about that stuff. David Njoku and Austin Hooper combined had about as many targets, I think, as uh, Dalton Schultz, just to give people an idea. So when you look at yards, like, oh, he had more yards. Well, he combined numbers. So in terms of production out of a tight end one in the Stefanski's offense, I think it's about having the balanced nature of those two positions where you're, you're using the sum of these tunes to equal a Gronk or a Kelsey or, you know, a Mark Andrews. Now, if the Browns ever got one of those guys, because for how long did Baltimore run two tight end sets to the cows came home? Well, this year, Mark Andrews takes 80% of their snaps. Their next closest was like 30. So they clearly have evolved their offense from a two tight end where they had those two big guys. And now they're saying, we're going to go to a one tight end. So that's always a fluid position if there's a guy that breaks out. 
and also it's what you get from your wide receivers. If you're getting really, really good production from three wide receivers, then there's not so much the need to go to two tight ends. So that stuff will factor in as well. But that's Hooper. Um, we'll touch on the verses, but we'll touch on next in Joku, obviously out of contract. Um, Brown's got three different options and he's made all the right noises about wanting to stay. And quite frankly, nearly every player does that. Um, but him wanting to stay doesn't mean he's going to be bent over a barrel and done sideways and take a really horrendous deal at like 4 million a year. Um, there, there's a difference of like going, Hey, I want to stay with this team versus I'll oh, give, give me a million. I'll play like some really cheap deal. He still wants to get paid. So the Browns can either extend him. They give him a deal, whatever it is, they come to an agreement. Probably going to be around, I would say 10 to 12 million range. Um, that that's where sort of head is where um, sort of PFF Brad and the contract people have the number. Then we've got transition tag, not often used. Um, Kenyon Drake was the last one in Arizona, as far as I'm aware. And what that does is that gives him a one year deal at 9.33 million as a tight end this year. And then he can just go into free agency even though he's under this transition tag contract and any team can offer him a deal. If he agrees to that deal and he has to agree to it, not just they offer him any deal and he has to accept it. He signed when he agrees that deal, the Browns then get, I think it's 48 hours, but someone can correct me on that. Um, to then either match it or just allow him to go. So then he gets the benefit of testing free agency and the Browns get the certainty of going, Hey, we're happy with that deal. We'll match it. And the third option is they just let him leave because they can't come to a number, which is 100% plausible. All three options could easily happen. To give people an idea of where the transition tag would have been very beneficial to go back in the Browns history machine, Mitchell Schwartz was one that came up where the Browns had made him an offer and basically had said, Okay, you know, and Joe Thomas has told this story, so this isn't like some secret sources or anything like that. But basically, it was like, well, here's our offer on the table. And then he went out and realized, hey, like, I can't get anything better than this offer. So when he came back to the Browns and said, hey, I'll take that offer, the Browns had pulled the offer. So it was one of those ones where it, it was it was messy. But if they had just gone ahead and put the transitional tag on him at that time. And I, I guess I don't even know if it was available at the time. I would think so because Alex Mack played on a transitional tag. You know, if they'd have put that tag on him and said, Hey, we're willing to offer you, this as an extension, that type of situation would have been avoided. And we'd have had, you know, an all pro potentially, you know, right tackle out there on the right side for a long time. So that's, I think kind of just an example of how it should have worked. So when you're talking about Najoku, Hey, this is the number, this is where we think you're at. If you think you can do better by all means, go test it out. He's made, indications in the past that he's interested a little bit in the free agency, but I think David Njoku is going to struggle going into a season or into an off season where it's like, all right, Hey, sell us. Right. So sell us. And you go, well, I had 475 yards receiving and four touchdowns on 53 targets. Give me $12 million. That that's, I think when you're talking about the average fan on Twitter, when they talk about Njoku, you see a lot of inconsistencies, you know, this year he had a giant spike in his number of penalties because they made him more of an inline blocker. And I know it was pointed out how well at times he was doing in his run blocking, but he struggles and sometimes he grabs and sometimes he got caught. So the interesting thing I found about Njoku and Jack, I don't know how deep you went into this, but when you talk about his freak athleticism to find out that, you know, 
of his 53 targets, 34 of them came either behind the line of scrimmage or within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. So that's 34 of 53. He only had 19 targets beyond 10 yards for a guy with his athleticism and his height. So that I found a little bit interesting in saying, why isn't it we're using him more down the field? Why are we throwing him nine bubble screens or 25 passes within nine yards? Those obviously little check downs, hitches or option routes. So I would be interested to see if we don't start possibly using Najoku's ability in his athleticism down the field. Yeah, because he had 30% of his snaps in the slot and out wide this year. Um, and I, I think there's a really intriguing way of using him, of going, actually, we're going to flip between 11 and 12 personnel. Um, because you could easily say to him, of going, hey, you're actually going to be a slot receiver. Get right out there. Go, go really far wide and you could have a stack out there. Um, and you can do different stuff with him just because of his body style and what he can achieve. So I, I think they can use really a lot more uh, because the moment where there's a linebacker guarding him and you then take that linebacker right out to the boundary and then you just match up, that linebacker is going to be uncomfortable because you could probably do what um, KC did and the tight end blocks out there and then the wide receiver goes and then suddenly you've got Schwartz, you've got whoever you, you pick that is then exposed on that linebacker that's gone all the way out wide to cover um, David Njoku because, hey, you, you can mix it up. That that's gives you the freedom to do stuff. So I think there's a uh, it's a really intriguing debate that you could use Njoku a lot more out wide, like, like Mike Kaseki, who's also a free agent. Also, Rob Gronkowski. That's what, the, uh, that's what Tampa does. They, they'll sometimes motion Godwin in from the outside, they'll leave Evans on one side, they'll motion Godwin in on the other, and they'll just slide Gronk out. Now, obviously, it's a tell. What do we play in zone? What do we play in man? And just to see, are you going to leave your corner out there? I think, I think honestly, when Tom Brady does that, the reason is, is he sits there and gives his little leg shift. If that corner stays out wide, I would almost be curious if it's not 100% of the time Brady throws the ball. It says, I got Gronk versus a corner. Now, if they switch and they have the safety go out, well, now I have Godwin in space in a position he can succeed as well. So this is a little bit of the offensive mastery. And I think Stefanski and AVP or, you know, I don't think at this point they're really planning on any more changes in the coaching staff. This is something where if they bring these guys back, you can start evolving. Cause we talked about the tight end position being boring and then interesting. And it's like the NFL is morphing into a, a league where you need to exploit matchups. It's always been that way. You know, I know there's a big debate regarding cornerbacks and, you know, having a loaded secondary, but at the end of the day, if I go out there and Belichick did this with Aaron Hernandez and Gronk and they said, okay, I'm just going to put two towers out here. Good luck. And then what are you going to do? Put five ten Mike Hilton on six, five Gronkowski. Like, what are you going to do? No, you're oh, now I'm going to have to match you. You know, I'm not going to take all my corners off the field. I'm going to put linebackers. I'm going to put safeties. This is one of the reasons that Woods goes to the flexible dime package where he can bring in that third safety. This is why they drafted JOK. Now I'm not taking speed. I'm getting linebacker impact and I'm getting speed. Like these are the type of things that go on with that tight end position. That's why you'll see other tight ends motion out wide. That's why you'll see him in the slot. That's why you'll see him in line. I mean, how many times do we look at like Travis Kelsey and go, how in the bloody hell is this guy that wide open? I say that all the time. I'm like, guard him, guard him. Or how many times do you did? Uh, I think Kansas City ran the play where Kelsey lines up on the right side of the uh, formation in line. 
blocks, slides across the formation. There's a uh, receiver cutting across. You know, it's generally Tyreek Hill or whoever. And Kelsey is just wide open. And you're just like, how? Because defenses aren't used to seeing a tight end from that position run that route. That's what that is. So when we talk about the evolution of this position, I just think that there's so much that they can do with it. And when you have somebody with the athleticism of Joku, that's where I think Browns fans get frustrated that we haven't seen that out of him yet. Yeah. And we'll jump into some other options um, out there. Cause I do want to touch on it. It's a stacked free agents class at the moment. Obviously that can change by the time free agent has to actually comes around, but for me, the most likely scenario is you're looking at one of those two. Um, I know there's the idea that you could potentially bring them both back. You could potentially bring um, one back and we'll touch on do something else. But for me, it's likely one or the other. Um, and we'll get into Harrison Bryant afterwards. Um, but that's what feels like the direction. Um, but it, it's something where they, they could continue to do crazy stuff because they don't feel confident in the wide receiver position. Because if they're going to struggle to get guys in, well, hey, we'll just run even more two tight ends and we'll play less of the third wide receiver to start the season. And then they'll progress it along as they feel more confident in the younger guys. Yeah. And Jack, you made a point in our kind of pre-show when talking about the executive director of the senior bowl. So elaborate a little bit on this. And I kind of want to take this point to a different route in terms of David Njoku. So what was it that you mentioned? Yeah. So Jim Nagy uh, done a, tweeted out it was a video where he's just kept pulling her jerseys off um and it's what what position uh, group is deepest and uh, it, it was tight end um so there, there is a lot of hype around the tight end um draft this year and there's a strong free agency class and a strong draft class jack you're just a mind reader all right so here follow me here on this everybody in browns nation should we hit some so names I'll, I'll lead this point and then we're going to go down that route so you're talking right now, the end of the season, right? So now we have between now and March 8th. So the deadline to apply the transition tag to Njoku is March 8th. In that time, senior bowl. In that time, combine. The Browns are going to have a very good look at what tight ends are going to look like. And I ultimately think to your point, Jack, with the depth of the tight end class, because college is evolving into a different style of tight end as well. So always remember, college may dictate more to the NFL game than people want to give credit because why, why is it that receivers in college now are making such a drastic impact in the NFL? Well, it's because a college is such a passing game that these guys are advanced in terms of their route, uh, you know, stems and stuff like that. They're able to run more routes, especially if you go to Ohio state plugged to the recruits, Brian Hartline, but running backs is one skill go offensive line regressed cornerbacks regressed. So there's other positions that are compensated. So tight end is now becoming a hybrid 6'5", 240 position, right? You know, guys out there in the past, if you were a big 10 tight end, you were 6'6", six, six and 280 pounds, and you were just Darnell Sanders plodding down. Shout out Darnell, haven't seen you in a while. Um, but yeah, so you just had these big old dudes, and they were just you know, dominating on the line. The Jack Doyle, so to say, you know, and then being a, just a mauler in the run game. So you're going to see what's coming out in the draft. You're going to know the free agency class by that point, maybe dictate a lot of these guys may say, I want to stay with my team because otherwise they're just going to replace me in the draft. So that might bring that tight end market down a little bit. I think there will be a direct correlation between what guys want in the open market. David Njoku starts banging the door for 12 million. And I'm looking at Jeremy Ruckert or Trey McBride or one of these guys in the draft. And I'm like, I'll just use a fourth on that guy. Thanks. Have a nice day. That's going to bring that price down. 
Now, Jack, what were you talking about that free agencies? Yeah, so and part of the reason why the appeal to give David and Joker a transition tag, just to touch back on that, is um, you're not committed. If it is just a one-year deal, we've never seen David Njoku as a pure tight end one in the Stavansky's offense. And that's something that will be intriguing to know of. Can he step up and do what's needed? Because it might be the case that it doesn't. And this idea that lots of Browns fans are in the mindset of it's, it has to be Hooper or Njoku and not looking at, hey, there's a free agency market that's good. So let's just drop some names of who are free agents. Mike Gusecki, Dalton Schultz, Rob Gronkowski, David Njoku, Zach Ertz, Gerald Everett, Evan Ingram, Max Williams, Moelle Cox, OJ Howard. Yeah, and all those dudes I want to bring in and be my tight end one. But there is decent talent there. And the guy that stands out most to me is Dalton Schultz. Um, he's had a really, really good year. Um, in terms of PFF numbers, I don't know if you've got it there, but he is right up there. Dalton um, Schultz? Yeah. Uh, in terms of his ranking, he finished the season with a 78.2 ranking. Which is? In terms of tight ends. Where where, where are we? Uh, that, that would be, he'd be number 10 in his receiving grade. It was number uh, eight in terms of his overall offensive grade. Which is Behind the likes of the mighty, uh, actually, if I'm just being fair, I'm going to go ahead and whack a couple of these targets. That moves him up to six in terms of his offense. And in terms of receiving grade, it's going to bump him to seven. So who, Behind guys you may have heard of. Kyle Pitts, Travis Kelsey, Dallas Gettert, uh, George Kittle, and Mark Andrews. Which is a great class. Right and behind him, Gronk, Fryermuth, Hunter Henry, Darren Waller. You can't ask for much more. So for me, if I'm just looking at the three and I'm going, I'm having one, will Dalton Schultz hit the market? Who knows? Um, I would cut Cooper and keep him, but who knows what Dallas is going to do? You have the big matrix of different ideas because first day of free agency, your first three targets could get silly offers and you've got to go plan for something else. So you discuss all eventualities as they will in Berea and we will hear um, that are obviously semi-realistic. Sorry, Devontae Adams. Um, and why not? I'm taking Dalton Schultz over David Njoku. I'm taking Dalton Schultz over Austin Hooper. They're the same age. There's one day difference between Njoku and Schultz. And lots of the hype around Njoku is, hey, he's still young. He's still developing into the position. So why not give the same tagline to Dalton Schultz? So for me, I, I, I want to go out and I want to see if he's there. And if he is there, I'm not saying get rid of David Njoku. I th- I, I'm happy to have David Njoku as my number two and use that whole tight end two, wide receiver two, freaky stuff that I would love to see. Mix it up. Yeah, it the free agency market is unique, right? Because I think sometimes tight ends, like remember when uh, Darren Fells goes down to Houston and has some like record-breaking year. And so you can grab guys. I mean, there's a ton of names. And shout out to another guy, Rashad Berry, from the great city of Lorain, Ohio, actually graduated from my high school. He's an exclusive rights-free agent with the Lions right now. So if you know anybody wants to bring Rashad home, you know, shout out Rashad. Um, but you have guys like Chris Herndon, you know, had all that upside with the jets and went to Minnesota and hasn't really done much. He's an unrestricted free agent. My namesake fellow brother, Ian Thomas, he's a guy that's just kind of been in the league for a little while. He's only 26. Um, but these are guys that you can go out and you can just hell the saints. I mean, Jawan Johnson's another guy that's, you know, young, he's exclusive rights, but the saints have no money. So there's a lot of options if you want to try to strengthen that room. And I think the Browns are going to do that. 
Now they obviously have in-house names like Harrison Bryant, my boy, stiff arm, Steve Carlson. Um, So there is a lot of talent, but at this point, there's no arguing. We have to get more production out of that. And we got to catch the ball when we throw it to the tight ends. Cause that's the other thing is too many plays are designed to those tight ends. The throws were just a little bit offline or they hit the hands and fell to the turf. So we'll touch on that name you mentioned there. And for me, every, Everything's trending towards him likely being tight in two this year, and that's Harrison Bryant. That's where my gut is. Of they're going to ask him to step up. They'll make a decision who tight end one is, and Harrison Bryant will be asked to step up, and let's see what he can do. And it's not been great. Don't get me wrong. He's not blown it up, and everyone's sitting there going, hey, this guy is the next coming of George Kittle or anyone insane. He's been solid. Um, so he's the same size as Dalton Schultz. He's the same size, 6'5", 240. That's the same size. The only difference is Dalton Schultz got 108 targets, which I believe was third on the Cowboys. CeeDee Lamb, number one, 120. Cooper, 109. Schultz, 108. Harrison Bryant, 28. 28 and, targets. And it's one way I, I think they want to go, hey, what are you going to do? Because if he has a really good third year, then you're sitting there going, right, we'll, we'll pull move forward and let's let's do something bold but it's one way you're not going to overcommit could you dip into free agency get max williams miley cox yes or any any of these other names for sort of four to six million it's not exciting um but if, if they genuinely don't trust harrison brighton and who knows they might just be we're happy with him as a three we like what he does on specials and that's where he is and that that is really really tough to know because he's not as good as Njoku or Hooper, and that's fine. But I also think that tight end three, though, is the role of that position is to develop into your tight end two. And like this is a rank and file type of room where my cornerback three isn't trying to be my two if my three is a slot, right? So if you're a tight end three, now we talked a little bit about, you know, you're talking about moving Njoku out to a slot and stuff like that. Now, if something were to go on with Njoku, that is the role that Harrison Bryant, a former wide receiver, would play. So the idea is if maybe my, I have two tight ends on the roster that are more, we'll quote them, Austin Hooper types, where and then I have two more that are kind of pass catching flex guys, you know, the Dalton Schultzes and stuff like that, even though he was admirable in the run game as a blocker. Um, I think that that's kind of maybe the, the system that you're developing saying, okay, I want Harrison Bryant. And I think the Njoku decision is going to tell you what they think of Harrison Bryant. Because if they let him walk, then I think he instantly is a guy that the coaching staff looks at and goes, this is the role you're going to fill. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a ma- it'll be a massive boost of confidence to him and it will know where he is. Um, they're not going to draft a dude to be tight end two. That's fine. That's expected. Um, but I, I think tight end three will be... Sorry, it's not stiff arm, Steve. Um, and the unfortunate thing about tight end, stiff arm, Tight end four. We'll call it four because we'll, we'll assume Hooper's on the roster for now, just so we don't confuse uh, well, I'm, I'm arguing the point that it's uh, choosing a big name for one, Bryant two, three, draft pick versus Stiff Arm Steve. Um, the trouble with Stiff Arm Steve is he's an RFA tender, which they're not, they're not going to give it to him. Um, they could put him on that to bring him back for camp, but the issue is if he goes down injured, then he's IR'd at that 2.433. So I, I don't think that's something they would risk. If he would turn around and sign some deal that is like 1.2, 1.5 million with 100,000 
signing and camp bonus or something just to come in and compete and see that could be something I think they'd be open to but they might just let him move on and sign somewhere else I think you're looking at a draft pick but it could be and we're chatting this pre-show like how high could it be that pick that we've got from Kwesi could could be the ceiling it's not going to go any higher yeah there's too many other needs because right now, I mean, realistically, you could patch up that tight end room with what you have and what's out there, especially if we're talking about the depth, right? So always remember deep positions in the draft lessen the urgency to take them high. One of the reasons that I am a full proponent right now of taking a wide receiver in the second round is because I am very confident of the talent in the second round versus the edge talent that's going to drop. I'd rather put the eggs in the edge basket in the first round than in the wide receiver basket in the second round. Same with tight end. You know, I mean, we'll get into a little bit, but, you know, if I can get guys like Jeremy Ruckert and stuff in the third, fourth round, it's like, all right, well, and I'm talking the comp pick, third round pick, not the uh, the actual pick, you know, not using a quote unquote top 100 pick on it. Almost like they did with Harrison Bryant. This is a guy that they didn't expect to be on the board. There he is. Grab him, bring him in, you know, using those day three picks on these type of tight ends. That's what the Cowboys did with Dalton Schultz. Yep. There you go. So, I mean, that's the kind of ideas, you know, this guy was a fourth round pick that fourth round, that fifth round, man, that is prime tight end round. And, you know, we talk a little bit about edges and size. I just, one thing I kind of noticed is, you know, in terms of our tight ends of the four Bryant Carlson, Hooper, and Njoku, Njoku, Hooper, and Carlson are all six, four Bryant, six, five Bryant's 230 pounds, Carlson, 240 Hooper, 255 Njoku, 246. And the guys they have on the practice squad, Forstall and Gugamos, uh, Forstall 6'5", 245, Gugamos is 6'5", 231. So if you're looking at tight ends, you better be looking in 6'4", 6'5", range, 230 to about 250. There's your guardrails for that position. You're not going to have no 260s, 270s. That's not what they're looking for. They've made that very clear. All six tight ends fall within a one-inch range and about a 15 to 20-pound range. Yeah, and that sort of stuff's massive for when people are looking at draft prospects and stuff we'll come back to when we're looking um, there. In terms of the fourth roster spot, they carried five um, through the season because Farrah Brown was there in the uh, first season of this front office and coaching staff. It was actually three last year. I think it would have been four if Carlson was fit, but he obviously wasn't. So I, I, I'm leaning towards three again purely because I think the fourth spot will be moved over to QB3. But I wouldn't rule out a fourth spot. Um, it's one where it could go either way. We won't have five, though. Yeah, I, I think it depends. I, I think you're going to have that floater spot where they potentially could keep that fourth, whether they're going to use it on the active roster or they're going to keep it on the uh, the practice squad. Because to your point with QB3, you realistically could just do what they're doing with Mullins, keep him on the practice squad, not make him active unless need be. And that's barring full recovery from Baker and you know everything goes as it's kind of looking like it's pointing towards. So, But regardless, at the end of the day, we talk about this often. Tight end is one of those positions where look at Tampa. Tampa went out and used high draft capital on OJ Howard and it just hasn't really kind of manifested, right? Whereas the Chiefs got George or uh, Travis Kelsey in the third round. And you're talking about all these guys, you're talking about these tight ends, Mark Andrews, all of them are later in the draft. So utilizing to your point, Jack, about nothing higher than that kind of comp third pick, like you just don't need to. There's guys out there that you can get and bring them up, let them develop, let them come into camp, prove themselves. Because, you know, especially if they're within the age guard rails where you're taking 21 year old guys like they did with Njoku, you know, the goal is 
And I think a lot of people remember this, especially, you know, if you're going through your college days, you felt like you were college strong. And then all of a sudden you're 25 and you just have more grown man strength. Like it's just a different type of strength that you have getting these young guys in, giving them two, three years, like Harrison Bryant to get into a weight room, to get into a new nutrition plan, to learn an offense. Then all of a sudden they pop onto the scene. And now you got a guy look at the Cowboys. The Cowboys did it exactly right. Schultz came in, injured his second year, let him rehab. He came back his third year, performed fourth year, performed even better. Now he's going to go off or they're going to resign him depending on what happens there. But that's the plan. That's what you do with tight ends. You bring guys in with day three capital and you run them through your pipeline. Yeah. And so for me, I think the most likely scenario, if I had to go with my gut is in Joku one, um, Harrison Bryant two, draft pick three. If I would get the room that I would love the most, I'm going to go Dalton Schultz one in Joku transition tags. But if another team offers and offers more than one year guaranteed, I'm not in on it. Um, I'd happily move Harrison Bryant and then a draft pick for three. Um, that That's where I'm at. Hey, you never know. Stefanski has a little familiarity with his boy Tyler Conklin up there in uh, Minnesota. Uh, 27 years old, unrestricted free agent. What's is he just finished his four years or is he like on a cheap? Tyler Conklin, yeah. Uh, if he's four seasons, yeah, yes. He was, um, he signed with the Vikings 2018. I, th- I want to say he was a fifth round pick. How often he played I, the, in terms of snaps or just like PFF numbers? Where Where's he at? Uh, well, I'll pull up the PFF numbers. I can tell you he's got four career touchdowns. So I'll, in terms of yards, this was his first year that he finally produced. His first two years, um, nothing much to talk about. Last year in 2020, 19 catches for 194 yards. This year, 61 catches for 593 yards with three touchdowns. So slightly better output than Njoku and Hooper had. At the end of the day, if that's sort of a name that if he was, but, by the way, he's six, he's six, four, two forty. just for all those people out there asking and holding me to my own guardrails. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. Fifth round pick out of central Michigan. You, the, they could easily just take a punt on because they are going to fill these rooms out. And when we're saying, yeah, they could use a draft pick there pretty much. They're going to go into the draft and not needing to use their draft picks. Obviously, you're going to use your draft picks to upgrade your team, but you're going to use free agency and other means to fill the entire roster with guys that you're happy with. And then you're going to use the draft to upgrade that. Um, they're not going to go in, in the as they have in the past. We knew, everyone knew it was going to be a left tackle two years ago. Um, everything pointed to it. There was no way they couldn't do it. Whereas now the roster is a lot more loaded and they will want to keep open options. So when the JOK opportunity arrives, they're not sitting there going, oh, well, we're locked into taking a edge and a wide receiver because we didn't bother addressing it in free agency. They want to be sat there going, bloody hell, this this quarterback that we had a mid-first-round grade on is sat here. Boom, let, let's just take a pop. Yeah, just to give you the Conklin PFF, uh, 83 targets, 61 catches, 593 yards with three touchdowns. He took 62 slots or 62 snaps in the slot, 35 out wide, 501 snaps in line, uh, yards after reception, about 5.4 yards per reception. And most importantly to me, one drop on the entire season. What's the, he was only got three drops on the entire year what's the or in his career. Uh, he finished with a 66.7. Which is, is that solid? That's roughly where Harrison Bryant is. So 
if, if they wanted to go one big and then they want two solid people, he could easily come in as the number three um, and compete out with Harrison Bryant. So yeah, uh, and, and a name to watch. Yeah, it, it, you just start drawing lines with familiarity and stuff, especially with Kwesi going up there now. Um, them kind of making an evolution with coaching staffs. That's what I always say when you see teams with new coaches and stuff like that, just follow the dots because the Browns did it for years. How many times did players in Cleveland get poached by other organizations and make our players serviceable? It was like the running joke of all time where, Oh, and the Indians had the same thing as Most well. Where players in the league were the Browns and the Patriots. We only have a team close because they had loads and loads of picks. Yeah, it's crazy when you go, oh, that guy used to play for the Browns. Oh, that guy used to play for the Browns. Oh, that guy used to play for the Browns. I mean, it's almost a game that I play every Sunday. I'm like, oh, that's former Browns tight end. That's former Browns wide receiver. That's former Browns, former Browns. And you'll get blue in the face. My friends look look at me like I'm nuts. But yeah, I mean, so when you have these teams and these organizations going through overhauls, these are the type of guys. These are the diamonds in the rough because I said it always, when guys become free agents, it's for a reason. Well, if that reason is because the coaching staff is coming in and saying, we're not going to run this set. I don't want this guy. I don't want this style anymore. They may not completely overhaul them in the first year, but those are the names that then become available. So it's a really, really good run through. Um, great fun chain, tight ends and some different options out there, not your standard. Oh, there's only two guys. Um, mm-hmm. people, are, people are sleeping on free agency. Absolutely. And I do think the tight end is the one position that brings Browns fans together because I think everybody can agree. We want more production out of the Brown out of the Browns tight end room, which means there's no possible way to argue. I don't know if there's a single person out there in the entire Browns Twitter sphere that was going to argue that the Browns got above average, and I say above on purpose, um, above average production out of the tight end room, and is hoping that in 2022 their play elevates. Whether that's with Hooper, whether that's Njoku, Conklin, Schultz, Bryant, whoever. There's a lot of names out there, um, but ultimately at the end of the day. The coaching staff needs to do its best for the team. They need to bring in guys that are going to elevate that because one of the best things, one of the best friends a quarterback can have, especially a quarterback going into his fifth year, really trying to prove himself. One of his best things he can have is a nice safety blanket over the middle, especially a nice guy wearing, you know, maybe a receiver number of some sort. That's a nice big six, four, six, five guy that catches the ball and rumbles. That's what I want to see some rumbling and tumbling out of that tight end position. Beautiful. And we'll clear up hopefully a lot more space in the middle for these tight ends to operate. So they should have a lot more freedom um, in 2022. But next week, it's all about the O-line. We're going to start with the tackles, and then we're going to go into the guards and centers in the second show. So uh, a juicy little uh, one that I tweeted out earlier this week. But we'll Speaking of O-line, Speaking of O-line, this uh, just a random question. I brought it up in the greatest group chat of all group chats, and that's the Paul Brown fantasy football group chat that goes on through Twitter, which my wife was looking at, like, what the hell's wrong with you? Number one pick in the draft, Jack, 32 GMs. I never got your answer. What percentage of GMs in the league bet $100 would get the number one pick in the draft right this year? I'd say we're between three dudes in the draft. See, I'd say there might be four. So I've got the two edges and then Neil, is it? Evan Neal, the O-lineman. That's what made me think of it. Um, I'm going to say 40%. You think 40% of GMs would get it right? Really low compared to normal. Yeah. And the the basic question is, is if you were to have every GM in the league, and I know not all of them are hired, if you'd have 32 GMs, about $100 right now, on the guy they think is going to go number one in the draft, how many of them would get it right? And, you know, and obviously they would turn to their coaching staff and say, who's our number one guy? And then they just say that name. But I think 
based on the positional versatility of, you know, do I like a, you know, a Kayvon Thibodeau or do I like an Aiden Hutchinson or do I want an Evan Neal? You know, what type of guy? I think it's still Krebs. And if you don't believe me, look at the futures in Vegas. They don't even know yet. That's what made me think of it. Look at the futures. Yes. Evan yes. Neal, I think, jumped from like plus 1,200 to like plus 350. Every mock draft's a little bit different. Yeah. And so, I know my boy Eric at PFF has been betting that Neal one down. Yes, there you go. So, but no, we'll talk a little O-line next week, what we expect, how things are going to go. Uh, but anything, do you have anything you need to add to the tight end room? No, check out the podcast, subscribe, send, send this to mates. We have great fun chatting with you guys, whether it's on Twitter um, and any other um, time we interact. So, uh, no, kudos, guys. We are loving this offseason. Um, there, there's a lot more fun to come. Yes, absolutely. And do me a favor, leave the players' wives alone on Twitter, Browns fans. If you're listening to this and you're one of those people that is tweeting mean things at the wives of players, please stop. Please just, stop. Just don't don't tag players Listen, on Twitter. It's just there's no need for it. Whether whether you're butt licking them or you're uh you're criticizing not, them. Yeah. By all means, if they tweet something and you want to crack back with a funny joke, that's that's fine. Reply to their tweets, but don't copy them into your tweets and stuff it's like just grow up it's it's an interesting world and i obviously i posted the thing from Brittany matthews who is pat mahomes fiance we're not the only fan base that does it um i'm of the belief that athletes and entertainers should not be on social media the benefit to it is almost zero but you know i i, I know obviously people want to talk about it baker is logging off social media uh, great call. I fully support that. Nothing good comes from checking your Twitter feed. I'm sure he has a burner account. I'm sure it'll take Browns fans about seven minutes to figure out what Baker Mayfield's burner account is uh, just so he can keep tabs on what's going on. But yeah, let's, let's leave the wives alone. That's the one thing I, I don't understand. And I know that Fox was taking some heat uh, for what he said. And I, I guess I don't really see what the main controversy is there. Like he has his opinion on Baker, just like all of you do fine. I mean, his opinion doesn't carry any weight with the organization it's just a guy on twitter so yeah let's uh let's elevate a little bit we, we got to be a little bit better i, I kind of want to become more of a nicer fan base than a bunch of just jamokes out there just screaming at carly teller well uh, when I, I worked for chap and did his pr i i had access to his twitter he didn't even have his bloody twitter password that's how like he was like i'm done he, he used to run his own twitter and then i got on the scene i was like mate just there's no need for it um if you need something put out i'll put it out um, if someone like famous interacts with you um, and other stuff and I led with him um, and just use it as a platform to put content out. If you think Tom Brady is the one sitting there producing these videos and putting stuff out, you're nuts. There is no need for these people. Use it as a one way publicity channel. Um, and yeah, that's it. There's Harry Redknapp. That's a football manager in the UK. He was asked on a, a, a TV game show. So like, your social media and it blown blown up and he was like oh yeah one of my granddaughters does it I've, I've got nothing she'll just like throw a camera in his face and he'll say something funny and it's like boom it'll go out and it's like you can produce some great content without dealing with all the, the comments and everything else it's like who needs that in my life agree alright that's our PSA anyways last but not least go Browns go Browns